Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Well, thank you everybody for joining us at Fearless Health Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and I am so excited today to have our special guest, Ms. Leslie Glenner, who is a psychotherapist and attachment disorder specialist, and she's going to be joining us today. And what we're going to talk about and focus on today is attachment disorders, and I'm just so excited to get into this. So, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. And thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So, Attachment disorder has been this very buzz topic, like what attachment disorder do I have? Like, um, how do I, can I change my attachment disorder, et cetera? So I'm curious, first and foremost, what is an attachment disorder? So it's interesting, you know, the word attachment disorder makes it sound like this big, scary, ugly thing that we have to get rid of. Um, It's kind of a misnomer, actually, because it's more about like attachment style, like what type of attachment do I have? And we call it disordered when it's anything but ideal, right? So an attachment disorder is just a name for how we're doing attachment in our relationship. There's three different types, secure, insecure, and disorganized, supposedly more than half of the population has secure attachment, which is great news for us. But I don't really see that in practice because I'm a psychotherapist and I sit in an office and people are coming to me because their relationships don't feel awesome or their work doesn't feel awesome or just the way that they engage with community doesn't feel awesome. So attachment disorder is really kind of a broad um, term for just how are we doing relationship. And relationship is so essential to humanity. So just to summarize, you really do not see secure attachments in your practice. Is that correct? I see them. I, I definitely see them. And, you know, in the end of psychotherapy, I see them a lot, right? Because that's where we're moving toward. But typically when people come to see me, it's because they're unhappy in their relationship or they're unhappy in their performance. And that's kind of indicative of, hey, I'm having this kind of like strange attachment to my partner where I get anxious or angry or they do, or we fight a lot or we're missing each other. So, you know, that's kind of the nature of my work. Maybe if I worked somewhere else, I would see more secure attachment. Very cool. So it sounded like you're saying that it's possible if you have disorganized attachment or if you have insecure attachment, it's possible to change that to become secure. Yes. You can can actually change your attachment style. So that's pretty neat. Yes, you can absolutely change your attachment style. So so where does our attachment style come from? That's a great question. So, you know, I think it comes from nature and nurture, biopsychosocial influences. the, the most obvious place that it comes from is what we were raised with, right? So it's not to say like what we were taught explicitly. It's more like what was the air we were breathing and the water we were drinking and the implicit messages that we got 
as a small child through our primary caregivers. Wow. So what would make somebody have more of either an insecure or um, a disorganized attachment? Like what would those messages look like versus a secure attachment? Sure. So um, we'll start with in a secure attachment, right? Like the caregiver is very available to the young child and very loving and their communications are straightforward. And what the child interprets is that the world is a safe place to be in. I am okay. It's wonderful that I exist. I am loved for who I am. Right. So the messages that are kind of outside of that parameter are what start to create some insecure attachment. And there's two types of insecure attachment, avoidant and anxious. So, you know, if we have caregivers who were like alternately, like sometimes available and sometimes not, we may internalize that sometimes we're supposed to be loving and available and sometimes not. Right. If we have parents who really weren't around, they were neglectful, they were depressed, they were busy, they were dealing with a health crisis or, you know, any, anything really, we might interpret that, oh, loving relationships mean a lot of distance. Wow. So does this come into play in every single relationship that we have? I'm assuming our significant others, our partners, like when we actually get into the dating world or marriage world, et cetera, this really shows up. But does this first off also show up with friends as well? Or is this more like more intimate relationships? Yes, that's a great question. So this shows up everywhere. Um, Certainly it shows up the loudest in our most um, intimate and close relationships, which typically is like our best friend, our partner, our mother, our father, our siblings. And, you know, most acutely with our romantic partner, because that's where we have the opportunity to get most triggered. But certainly this shows up in the workplace. And that's so much of the work that I'm doing with my business coaching clients of like, hey, you know, I just keep having this clash with my boss and I can't figure out why I'm so upset or triggered about this seemingly small thing. And it's like, yeah, let's look at your attachment. Great. So what would you, so let's say this shows up, you know, in dating or with a partner, when are, when are you stepping in and saying, Hey, you know, something here isn't right. Something here is toxic. What are you seeing in practice with that? Right. So, yeah, I mean, typically what I'm seeing is people are coming in after the honeymoon phase of their relationship, right? The dopaminergic high is kind of in the past And they're getting to the real stuff of like, oh my God, I just hate my partner when he does this. Or I just, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me when she says that. And we start to see like the truer self because there's more vulnerability, there is more intimacy, there is more closeness, and we don't have those dopamine hormones to kind of obscure the playing field. So I'm seeing couples either like a year, or five or 10 or 20 years into their relationship saying either, wow, we've just discovered this really horrendous stuff. And it's so weird because we know we really like each other or we've been trying to work with this stuff forever and we just can't seem to make any meaningful change. 
So lots of clashing, lots of triggering is, is primarily what you're seeing in these relationships or just someone is pretty much over their partner. Totally. And like what we, we look for is like this metric of contempt, right? Is one partner feeling like the type of disgust and rejection of some part of their partner that's really indicative of our deep stuff is triggered. Interesting. And that's definitely something that I have heard and don't know a ton about this subject, but I've heard that when contempt enters into a relationship, it becomes very dangerous and you're in a very quick downward spiral. Yes. I mean, could be. That was the great work of John Gottman, who was Mm -hmm. like videoing these couples. And within two minutes of a little snippet of watching them, he was saying, I could tell if they'll be together in a year's time or not. And it's all because of this contempt, which is, you know, I guess it it looks like a lack of respect. Not a lack of respect, but like, oh, I don't respect the way that you do that. And it makes me want to run away. It makes me cringe. So, I mean, I definitely, I read John Gottman's book. It was very interesting. Um, but, and I would say that a lot of people out there say, I just, I want to read a book. I just want to get, fix my attachment disorder with a book. What would your advice be on somebody that thinks they can read a book and maybe fix some really deep seated childhood issues really about how they attach to their parents? Yeah. So I would tell them, because I get this question a lot, I would say, you know, there are some really well written books about attachment and they are good for getting you super oriented and having you steep in the conversation of what's possible in terms of attachment and what could show up. But there unfortunately is no book that's going to get to your very custom wounds and micro injuries that have happened in relationship in your life. So books can only get us so far. Right. Yep. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. It's almost like you have a block on what is some of your stuff, right? Um, and somebody else could potentially see it, right? Is that, is that something you see in practice quite a bit? Yeah, that's exactly right. Because it's like when we have our stuff triggered, it's almost like we literally have blinders on or a super intense blind spot going on that a psychotherapist or, you know, a untriggered other will be able to see our partner when they're being really fair to us will be able to see that really clearly. But yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point is like, we need to be able to bring meaning Um, and make explicit these super implicit, seemingly unimportant memories and images and vignettes from when we were little and understand their deep impact on us. Right. So if someone wakes up and says, you know, I've realized I'm really in a toxic relationship, I'm in a toxic cycle, I'm maybe just not where I want to be in my relationship. It may not even be toxic. What would your advice be on next steps? Like when would it be time to seek out an attachment specialist? What would that look like time or what would you recommend? Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. I mean, a lot of people know that they need help when they feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Right. And they might not know any more than that than like, I'm not that happy and I feel like I could or should, should be happier. Mm -hmm. Um, that's always a good time to seek help. But if you're kind of questioning, like, 
what's going on in my relationship, one great question to ask is like, does this feel familiar? Have I had this kind of pattern in relationship before? And is this um, similar to my upbringing or an interesting, very opposite to my upbringing? Because that's what we'll do a lot of times is we'll pursue the same thing or the opposite thing. Um, Ideally, we're going to pursue the middle path and that's what we're going to be learning in sessions. But that would be a great indicator of like, does this feel familiar somehow? Wow. So that's really interesting. That's really cool. So generally what you'll see if somebody's in a little bit of a toxic pattern is they'll either maybe seek out someone that's just like that loved one that was maybe the problem attachment style or the complete opposite, or you'll see them, or you'll see maybe potentially somebody single go on dates with, you know, the complete opposite or the exact person. Is that correct to try to heal those wounds? Yep. That's exactly right. And it's also, you know, sometimes it's unconsciously to try to heal the wounds and other times it's unconsciously just what is familiar and familiar equals safe. Let me give you a little example. Like say um, a woman grew up with a abusive alcoholic husband, father, father. Um, And she knows that that was so painful, so challenging, so messy And then she grows up and she finds herself in relationship with an abusive alcoholic man. It's like, why would that happen? And that's, that's kind of exactly what we're looking at is she's doing that not because she doesn't know that that's horribly painful. It's because that is what she knows and familiar equals safe to the unconscious where unfamiliar equals unsafe, maybe even death right? And we're not able to really recognize something that's unfamiliar and healthy because the feeling of unfamiliar is so scary. Wow. That's pretty neat. That's really, really interesting. I just, I did not realize that, but I will see um, women come into my practice a lot and um, you can definitely see parallels between their family, um, and then ultimately the partner they've chosen. But I also see something interesting in practice, uh, women that have had problems meeting somebody on dating. It's like, there's something wrong with every person they date. Is there, do you, do you also see that out of curiosity? Like they just can't settle down. They've been dating for like 10 years and nobody really fits the bill. Or do you have any, any insight on that? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting one. I couldn't say that that points exactly to attachment without hearing more about those particular individuals' stories, you know, but certainly like if it's a piece of um, like perfectionism, like Mm -hmm. nothing is good enough, no one is good enough, you know, that could be a really loud clue to us that, yeah, you, that is part of your attachment wound. And maybe it's that I feel like I'm not good enough and I project that out. Um, And there's some messages that I received about not good enough, or I learned that, you know, the best way to cope would be to choose things that, you know, I can't make a mistake. I can't get hurt. Um, so yeah, I would need to hear more, but yeah, these kinds of other, um, features certainly click in with attachment in all sorts of ways. 
Wow. Those are some pretty deep wounds and some definitely some deep things to address. And I feel like that is definitely been rampant today, in my opinion, in the, in the dating world, from what I've heard, it seems like a really, really challenging time to be out dating. Just <laughs> seems stressful to me when I hear about it. So I'm <laughs> glad that's not the case, but this has been so interesting. Is there anything you'd like to add? I didn't ask about attachment style or attachment disorders. Um, well, I mean, it's so, it's such an interesting world. I just recommend that everybody understand their attachment. I'm always on a mission for self-actualization for myself. And I just think it's so rewarding for all of us to know from where we came and why we do what we do. Um, there was one other piece that I wanted to mention just cause Anne, you know, you're a functional medicine doctor. Yes. Um, and that is what I've been finding lately in the pairing of attachment and psychotherapy and you know, the application of functional medicine, which is what I'm seeing in my practice lately is, you know, even though people are coming in with anxiety, depression, relationship issues, it's been fascinating to watch that when they receive functional medicine blood work we can often find that their anxiety is explainable. And obviously, Anne, you know so much more about this. <laughs> yes. You know, low magnesium and they're having anxiety or something like that. And when um, I'm sending my folks to be treated in that way, I'm seeing that our work becomes so much more expeditious. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really loving this truly holistic, whole person view of the problem. Right. I mean, yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Thanks for mentioning that. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, when doing functional medicine, there's two pieces of a puzzle that really need to be addressed, especially when somebody has had low health for a long time. Number one, they're stuck. They're mentally, mentally stuck. And there's only, I I can't really do much about that other than treat the nutrition. But Ultimately, treating the nutrition, I feel like makes your job so much easier and you treating the mental piece makes my job so much easier. So it really pairs up that there's so much static that happens that I would assume you have to get through that's all metabolic versus, and and I'm just not trained to treat anything mentally, right? So, I mean, it's just a perfect bridge and crossover because most people really need support both ways, um, is what I found. So really, really awesome stuff. Yeah, it is such awesome stuff. And I just love all this, you know, what's coming out about epigenetics and the brain gut connection. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited for what we're learning and, and how we're able to really help people so much faster and with such lasting benefit. I agree. I very much agree. Well, where can they find you, Leslie, if they want to touch base with you? And also, do you do consults over the phone for people as well? Yes, absolutely. So best place to find me is at my website, www.holobeing.com. That's like holistic human being, holobeing.com. <laughs> um, and absolutely, I do phone consults. I do video Um, obviously I prefer being in person because of our mirror neurons and the style of work that I do. Um, but we can hit mirror neurons over video, just like you and I are doing right now, Dr. Ann. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Well, um, her link will be in the bio so that you can get in touch with her and she is practicing out of Boulder, Colorado. So 
you feel like this is important, go ahead and look her up, Miss Leslie Glenner. And thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. And um, it was wonderful to have you on the show. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. All right.